welcome to Feasting on Design. I'm your host, Jason Frostholm. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Beth Stafford and Jeremy Slagle about their new children's book, Hip Hooray Hippo. We chat about what they learned from their first Kickstarter campaign for Chin Up Chinchilla and how they've applied those lessons this time around, how their writing and illustrations evolved from the first book to this book, how they managed to run their businesses in the midst of writing and illustrating a book, and then manning the Kickstarter campaign, plus a whole lot more. If you like the podcast and want to help support us, head over to patreon.com slash feasting on design. Every dollar helps us cover hosting costs, upgrade equipment, and keep the podcast going. When you become a Feasting on Design patron, you'll get access to exciting Feasting on Design news before anyone else, plus stickers and t-shirts. So please help support the podcast by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash feasting on design. Beth, Jeremy, thanks for joining me this morning. Yeah, thanks for, thanks having, for us. having us. It's it's good to be chatting again. So I guess you guys have some exciting news um, that that we're going to talk about here. Beth, you want to spill the beans? Yes. So we're currently hosting a second book on Kickstarter and trying to get that funded. We had such a wonderful response to our first book, Chin Up Chinchilla. And that was about two years ago. And now we're back to do a new book on empathy. So so what made you want to write this book? Well, the funny thing is I actually wrote this book very close to the time I wrote Chin Up Chinchilla. I had oh. written that one. And then I thought, well, maybe there's some more to this. So I had written this book as well. And so before I even talked to Jeremy about it, I kind of had this in the back of my mind. And so after the first one was such a success. And we had several people say to us, do you think you'll write another one? And we were like, yeah, we actually have something in mind. So it was always in the back of our minds knowing we might want to do it. And then we decided, yeah, this would be a great time to do it. Awesome. Jeremy, what's the process been like uh, illustrating the book this time as opposed to the first time? Uh, It's been great. Uh, In some ways it's been easier. In some ways it's been harder. Um, one of the things that was probably the most difficult, probably the biggest uh, aspect of heavy lifting on the first book was trying to define a style uh, for the characters, a style for the, you know, the textures and the, and the overall look and feel of the, mm. of the book. And um, so, so the good news is that was pretty much set. You know, we're not, we're not deviating much from the style of the first book. Um, that said, uh, I, I wanted to go a little bit deeper with some of the things that I had learned in the first book, uh, while I did it. And, you know, in the first book, uh, I, I taught myself a lot, uh, along with, you know, using Skillshare and, and mm-hmm. some other people who do some really great things about how to do, for instance, uh, textures and brushes and illustrator. Um, and so I did, a, I, my, the first book uses a lot of stuff from retro supply, um, mm-hmm. And throughout that book, I also started creating my own where I felt like there were some gaps. Um, in this book, it's 100% my own textures and brushes. And it's something that, um, you know, I didn't anticipate, but I really kind of fell in love with that process uh, do, doing the first book. So in some ways, I'm pushing myself and creating more, uh, you know, a more custom look with this book. Uh, but overall, we're, we're kind of sticking with the same color palette and uh, similar vibe to the to the first. 
when creating those um, those textures and brushes and things like that, um, were you able to envision other uses for them um, past just this book? Yeah. Um, now, one of the things that was kind of an unanticipated benefit of us doing this book, uh, you know, our first goal was to get a book out that's got a great story, uh, sure. you know, that, that really kind of encourages uh, things that we think are important in children. Uh, one of the unanticipated, I think, uh, uh, benefits or blessings of the book has been, you know, Beth's opportunity to go out and share it with people face to face and go into classrooms, you know, and, and be able to have really great conversations with kids that, uh, that, that need that some of them are really hurting, you know, some of them are going through some really difficult stuff. And, uh, and so empathy, you know, uh, working with kids has been just a passion of hers. Uh, for me, the pro the uh, process of learning how to do brushes has led me to the ability to share that with people too. So when we did the first campaign, one of the rewards was uh, a an in per in person or not in person, but like online live texture workshop. How did I do this? Uh, and so I, what I didn't anticipate was the thousands of hours worth of, or the thousands of dollars billable hours worth of work that would go into putting together something like that. And I'm a little bit of a freak when it comes to doing that. So <laughs> I spent a lot of time, uh, putting that together to do it like twice. And, and so after that, I just was like, man, I've got this great curriculum and I'm, and I really love doing this. Like it kind of sparked something for me that was unanticipated. And so since then I've hosted a local workshop, which we sold out. Um, Circles conference had me come out to Dallas last year and do it, sold that conf that workshop out. Um, and just a couple months ago, uh, the Modern College of Design brought me out and I did one there for their students and alumni and locals in the Dayton area. So it's really been something that has kind of uh, given me a lot of joy in learning, not just professionally, but relationally and, and allowed me to kind of make some new friends and, and teach some new skills. So. Awesome. Beth, what have you learned in the writing process of this that you hadn't maybe learned in, or what have you learned new in the writing process of this as opposed to the first book? Hmm. Well, that's a little tricky because I had already written the story around the same time, Sure. but I think what I've learned is that there's still so much to be, said like when we wrote the first book it was about empathy but it was about sadness which i think mm -hmm. is what most people associate empathy with and we wanted to say what if we just think about empathy by its definition which is sharing in the feelings of someone else and think about all the feelings a person could have and how you can share in that so for me writing a second book and thinking about how how can you share someone's happiness mm -hmm. which when you think about watching somebody else get something that you want and that feeling of jealousy that might rise up in you. Um, uh. How can you combat that? How can you look at somebody else and say, wow, if that were happening to me, I would feel so happy. And so can I be happy for you? It's been really exciting to think about kind of twisting that story a little bit and having people start to engage in a different way with empathy. Gotcha. As, as the chin up chinchilla stuff progressed when you were doling out the Kickstarter awards and going into classrooms and reading stuff, what was your experience there? Oh, it was 
awesome. <laughs> because when I wrote the book, I just thought, oh, this is for my daughter, Rue, and mm-hmm. I'll read her this story. But to see other parents reading it to their kids or to go into these classrooms and get to talk to hundreds of kids and talk to them about being kind and even learning about ways that teachers and parents are already trying to talk to their kids about that stuff Mm -hmm. and being encouraged to see, like, I'm not the only one with this message, of course, and I knew that, but just hearing kids say, yeah, at our school, we have a buddy bench. If you don't have anyone to play with, you can sit on the buddy bench and someone will come and play with you. And I just thought, that is awesome. I just love being encouraged, seeing the good things that people are doing mm-hmm. and the mindfulness around that. So as much as I'm sharing a story with them, people are sharing a story with me. What, what have you, you know, like the buddy bench, what else have you learned from others in the process? I think I've learned how much people really just want to support other people. Mm -hmm. Um, We kind of wondered, will people want this book the first time around? And we had so many friends and family, people I hadn't talked to in years who saw that we had made this book and they were like, yes, please support this book. And they backed us. And I think I was just really humbled by how much people care. And so I'm just so thankful for the people who have backed the first one and the ones who have already backed our second one. And it just really does make you feel like people are in your corner Mm. and on your team. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of, did you want to add something to that? Oh no, I was just agreeing. Absolutely. Just agreeing. So, so speaking of people in your corner and on your team, when, you know, to be able to write a second book and, you know, illustrate it out and, and get to the point where you're launching a Kickstarter campaign, you've got to have a lot of support from family and friends. How have you, how have you gone about asking for that without feeling like you're imposing? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, and I know that's something we'd try to be sensitive to the whole, the whole, during this whole process. So, um, I, we've had many conversations about this. The first time we, we did this book, uh, like I said, we, we weren't sure we were going to get it funded. Like our, our goal at the end of this was to be able to hold a hardcover version of this book in our hands. That's it. Like we're not sure. looking to, to become noted children's book writers and illustrators. You know, if a publisher decided to pick this up, we would definitely not say no, but that's not, you know, we're both very happy with, with what we do. We both love being graphic designers and, and that's, this isn't, um, but you know, for us, I think having this second book and, and realizing that when we did the first one, we now have, you know, 200 backers that bought the first book, right? So we, mm-hmm. we kind of have curated a, a list of people who are followers who have held the first book in their hands. And what we're hoping is, is that they go, wow, I've, I've held the first book in my hands. I really want to add the second book to our hands. And so we haven't felt, uh, like we, we, we haven't done much pressure marketing or any of that. We have sent out emails as far as like letting people know it's coming. Um, here's some tools, here's some hashtags cop, you know, here's some, uh, some information. If you want to share it on social media, we're going to make it easy. You know, use this image and copy and paste this. Uh, but you know, just trying to get as much support, uh, grassroots level support as we possibly can. Uh, so we reached out via email, we reached out via uh, text to some folks, um, and then we're just kind of going back to the backers of the first book and saying, hey, can you hop hop in behind this and support this again and spread the word? But, um, you know, 
obviously people have the opportunity to opt out of that. Uh, and sure. we've just been really careful not to, not to overload people's in, inboxes and, uh, and kind of keep it positive and just say, Hey, you know, we're not, I, we're not out to, to start a business here. We're out to just share another story. And I think when you help people understand it from that perspective, you, you know, mm-hmm. you know, they, they feel a lot more welcome and open to doing that. So. Gotcha. Beth, what about you? I really struggle with asking people for help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's very like I tread on the extreme side of not wanting to ask anybody for anything. And I never want anyone to feel obligated to buy the book just because they care about us. I mean, sure. it costs money and maybe people don't have that to spare in a month and that's OK. So I think from my standpoint, I just I want people to back it if it's something that they care about. And I and I do realize that not every story is going to resonate with every person. And I read a lot of children's books and not every one of them do I like, but someone else does. And so I can't take that personally if somebody, if it's just not something they're interested in. So I try to just put it in their court and realize it's nothing personal, whether or not they decide to back the book. When, when you're gearing up, since this is your second Kickstarter campaign, what lessons have you learned, like the kind of do's and don'ts of going into it? We learned that a Kickstarter campaign takes so much time and energy because you've got to keep up with it daily, reach out to people. You've got to always be promoting it and having things to share so that it doesn't fall on the back burner and people just don't remember that it's going on. And so the first time we did it, we did not know how much it would take of our time and energy. Mm-hmm. And it took a lot. So this time we came in a little more prepared. We knew what kind of stuff we wanted to share. We were able to have some assets available beforehand. And so that's a huge help. And last time we did not know what we were doing so much with ads and promotions. And so we started to dabble in that. And then we're like, yeah, that's a whole beast. Like if you want to get into that, you need to do it with a purpose and a plan and likely with somebody who does that professionally, because that is really a challenge. So yeah. For us this time, we decided that we're just going to try to make it simple for people. Like all our rewards are mostly book based. We don't have a lot of extra stuff because we just really want to focus on the book and getting that out to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's something we noticed from sales from the first book is a vast majority of people just bought a book or bought a couple books. Um, and so, you know, while we have sticker packs and some things like that for, for the early birds, uh, that's great. But really you know, people just wanted a copy of the book. So we just kind of, like she said, really kind of focused it and made it a little easier for people to pick something. Gotcha. When you, when you're preparing the Kickstarter campaign, how do you guys decide on what the tiers are and how those breakdowns go? Because that's, that's a whole nother portion of it itself is, is figuring out, how you're going to break things apart and how you're going to engage people at different levels. Yeah. Um, I think there's, there's lots of really great resources out there about that, you know, um, try to fill any major gaps that you have. If if you're, if you go from $35 and the next jump is to 150 or, or, you know, 350 or $500, then you, you should probably give some offerings in there to kind of maybe help nudge someone to the next one, because at some point they, they go, I'm not spending that much, but maybe mm. there's something a little bit more in there, but also not overwhelm people. You, you, you 
give people too many options and they go away, uh, but without making a decision. So, uh, that's, that's, there's an art to it. Uh, there, I don't know that it's much of a science, uh, but we learned a lot just by looking through, you know, what, what were the, the thing that's great about Kickstarter is it also gives you all sorts of information. Like how, how did it, what, what things sold last time? What things did people resonated with people last time? And so we took the knowledge we had from that. One of the other things, uh, speaking of that Kickstarter does, and, and I just want to say Beth did such an amazing job on this this year. And, and it's one of those things that you were asking, like what changed between the last one and this one is sure. we did a, we did a, a deeper dive video last time, um, mm-hmm. that, that, that was actually had, you know, actual footage in it and we set up a little shoot and we did the whole thing. But it ha- how long was that? Like two minutes, three minutes? Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it wasn't insanely long, but it was at least two or three minutes. Um, and one of the things that was really cool is you can actually go into Kickstarter's portal and it'll actually show you when people stop watching the video. So, you know, we were watching, we were watching the numbers on that and it'd get to about 60 seconds and then it would just drop like, people were like, okay, that you're, and we were basically overwhelming people with information. Um, so what I love is, you know, last time I kind of took the lead on that. I've got all the camera equipment and the sound stuff and all that and steady cam. And I kind of shot the whole thing and edited it. What I love is Beth was like, Hey, you mind if I, I've kind of got an idea, uh, how I might, I might do this a little differently this time. And so, uh, I, I know there was some anticipation from her. Uh, and as to whether or not it was going to, you know, resonate with me. But uh, for a couple of days there, it was, I'm working on something. I'm not ready to show it to you yet, but I'm working on something. Uh, and then I was, I was actually, I dropped my daughter off at the mall to hang out with her friends. And I was walking through the mall waiting to bring her home. And I get a text from her with a Dropbox link and I watched it and it just blew me away. Like it was exactly what we needed. Like it was, it, it was awesome. It, from, from the minute I saw it, I had very minor feedback on it, but, uh, you know, Beth's not a, Beth's not a, a, an animator. She's not a, a, a video person at all, but just the concept behind it is so fantastic. And then even down to like, when I, uh, opened up the Kickstarter campaign, I'm creating a lot of the visual assets for it. And we're, we've got it on a shared Dropbox folder and she's mm-hmm. kind of pulling stuff apart and sticking it back together. But like she went through and, you know, animated a lot of the touts and a lot of the graphics that are on the, uh, on the page where you get a little bird floating around or a, a hippo peeking up out of the water. And it was such a neat surprise to me because I wasn't expecting it. Um, and so, you know, just those little things, just taking it to the next level, uh, makes a huge difference. So I just want to say like, I may have created some of the design, uh, the illustrations, but what Beth's been able to do with it as far as being able to promote the book and, and, and do the video herself and all that stuff, it's just been phenomenal. Beth, what made you decide to add those little flourishes? Well, I was looking through some other Kickstarter campaigns and I saw that there, some of the images in their stories were animated. And I thought, whoa, like, I didn't even know that we could import those files. So then I started thinking, how can I just add a little bit? I didn't want to overwhelm everyone. So everything they look at on the page is moving. But I sure. thought, how could I add the same feeling that you get when you read the book? That those little aha moments or things that make you smile. How can I add that so that people get the full experience when they're looking at the Kickstarter campaign? Mm-hmm. Now that you've done that, are there any plans to do an animated story of the book? 
that would be awesome, but we'd have to hire somebody <laughs> who can really do that. I mean, it did make me think this would be really fun to learn, but I also see how much I do not know. So if any professionals are looking at it, they probably can see all the things that are really janky. But for me, it was really <laughs> fun to do. And it, you know, it serves But the that's purpose. the charm. I think that's the charm of the whole thing. Like, it's kind of like uh, if it was, if it was had more polish on it, it would mm. look like someone was trying to do something and it wasn't working like they, sure. but what I love about it is just the simplicity of it. It's like very basic, very simple. It's not trying too hard. It's not trying to like, uh, look super high tech. And I think that's what makes it so accessible and fun is that it's just, it is, it's simple. And, and that's what I love about it. So well, I mean, I think with a children's book, that's kind of the way you need to go is because you, you've got to break things down into a simplicity level to engage with little minds that have not experienced the world yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that, you know, our the first video we did was more from like an adult's perspective, you know, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like our story. It was, you know, she's always wanted to write a book and I've always wanted to illustrate a book and so help our dream come to life by doing this and the, the new video and the way that we're presenting it this time is very much, uh, you know, it's still geared towards adults, but it's got a much more child focused, child friendly perspective on it, which I really love. Um, but it's still got a nod in it, uh, to, to something that adults can find humorous as well. And it's got just the right amount of humor and cuteness to the whole thing. And, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. Beth just happens to have a sweet, cute little, daughter around the house that, uh, has lots of energy and puts good <laughs> use in this video. So if you, if you happen to see it, that's Beth's daughter, Rue, and it's super cute. So. Gotcha. Beth, how is it working with a child actor? <laughs> <laughs> Her list of demands were very small. I think she oh, wanted to good. play trouble afterwards. So <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that's if you can good. help me, we'll play a game. So yeah, she was great. <laughs> gotcha. When the initial idea for this book came up, Why did you want to continue with the empathy storyline? I think I read so many books that are just fun to read, Mm -hmm. but don't really have a message behind it. And so I think there's something great about you have a child and you have their attention. They're sitting on your lap. They're usually looking at the pictures. And so it gives you this rare opportunity to slow down and talk about things. Mm -hmm. So anytime a book can both engage the child and they think it's fun and not boring, Mm -hmm. But you can also slip in a little bit of life lesson in there. You know, I think that's a great thing. So for me, just creating another story about that, it gives it more purpose than just writing something that's fun. Not that there's anything wrong with fun stories, because I really enjoy reading those, but it just makes it mean something more to me. Sure. Yeah. And one of the things Beth does that's really great about these books that a lot of books don't do is that there's follow up questions at the back for the parent to kind of ask their kids. So you've kind of already got them in this uh, mindset of, of, of the story, but now it's like, okay, let's talk about, you know, when you have felt this way or when you've seen a friend that's felt this way. Um, and I think what it also does is it's a great tool for parents to have conversations that aren't just like, this is happening to some hippo in some jungle fairy land, but this is actually stuff that you, you know, you might encounter every day or with a friend or, or someone else. So, you know, being able to have that as an open conversation with parents and help them kind of use it as a learning tool is great too. I think that's a, that's a nice thing that I liked about the books is 
is that you do have those follow-up questions because as a parent myself, you know, a lot of times when you're engaging your kids in conversation, you're, you've got this filter in your mind of what do I ask without like overwhelming them or going over their head. And, and you did a nice job of laying that out where you were just asking basic questions. You weren't, you know, as, as adults have to do, you weren't over explaining it and, and opening up more questions than a little kid's mind is ready for. Thank you. Yes. And this time for Hip Hooray Hippo, I even had a school counselor who works with elementary students look at the book and say, like, are these questions what you think a kid would engage with? Do you think there's anything we should not ask or should ask? Because I work with one kid every day. Yeah. She works with hundreds. And so I just want to make sure that those are still approachable and easy for little kids to understand. What, what was her feedback in general? She said they were great. They were all things she would ask a student. So that made me feel really confident in knowing that it will help other people too. Gotcha. What, Beth, what's been your biggest learning curve during this whole process? Yeah, it's been a challenge to learn. I only have so much time. Sure. And so much ability to make things and put things out there. So where is where is that going to be best used and where is it going to make the most difference? Because you have so many options of what you can be doing with your time when you're running a campaign like this. And so for me, I found that the most important things are engaging with people and connecting with people and letting people who have backed us know how much we really appreciate them and not just let that go by. So I try to keep up with that as much as I can because I am so genuinely thankful for every single person and I don't take that for granted. We were so wet behind the ears when we went in on the first book. And I think um, Beth's A organization, which is phenomenal, um, and what we've learned as far as what tools are available to us, I think has been huge. And I, I don't know about Beth, but like we, we discovered Dropbox Paper uh, in this process. And it has become mm-hmm. a tool that we now use with our clients because it's so phenomenal. Um, so from a learning curve standpoint, I think just the way that we communicate and organize stuff has been really, really crucial and key. And then I think the other thing is, I think you've probably learned a lot about social media and marketing that you probably didn't know before. Yeah. So, so you mentioned something there about the only having so much time. And I'm curious about how much time you have to devote to this during you know, the lead up to the campaign and, and all that, because you do have your own business to run and you've got to be able to keep up with your clients and things like that. And this is, this is not a client based project. So it's not like they're billable hours for this. So how, how are you managing your time? For me, it's really a challenge because mentally I just want to stay engaged with the campaign and be keeping up with that. But I, have to keep switching. So it it really is hard to get in the mindset of, okay, I just have to kind of ignore this for an hour or two, or I'm not going to get anything done. You can't just be like always bouncing back and forth between client work and doing this. And it's really hard to stay focused. And yeah, leading up to it, you do have to kind of say, okay, I'm going to work on some of this now, but that means tonight after my kid's in bed, I'm going to have to do some more work because there's just not enough hours in the day. And and we even had a few snow days in, in the week's coming up to when we were going to launch. And I just thought, how can, how can I watch the six-year-old and also do client work and also (laughs) prepare for this? So it definitely takes a lot of juggling and less sleep. 
<laughs> gotcha. Jeremy, same question. You know, how are you managing your time? Because you've got a business to run and, mm. you know, have, have an employee sitting there behind you and, you know, all of this stuff does take away from those billable hours that you can put in during the day. Yeah. Uh, I, one of the things that Beth has been incredibly patient about on through this process is allowing me to work on it when I have time to work on it. Um, we never, after the first one, we talked about, all right, when are we going to do this again? I, both of these books have been gap fillers for me. Um, one of the okay. things I realize is I don't do well when I don't have something to do. And so like, if I look <laughs> I at my to do list, yeah, <laughs> I can't, I don't, I don't do well if I don't have something to do. And so I look at opportunities like this as, uh, something that's going to make me a better illustrator. And so mm-hmm. to me, it's worth the investment, but paying work comes first. And so, um, you know, I had an insanely busy year last year. Uh, the year that we did Chin Up Chinchilla, I had a really slow summer that year. And so I was able to pound that thing out in just a few months. Uh, and, and we were able to roll with it. This one's been a little different because of how busy my year has been. Uh, and so, you know, I, what I usually do is, and Beth could probably attest to this, uh, she'll not hear from me for like a month and a half. And then all of a sudden her inbox just starts filling up with sketches and illustrations like overnight because I'm one of those, like when I'm ready to do it, I'm going to pound it out. I'm going to like really focus on it. So, um, it, to me, it's been a gap filler. It's been that like things are slow. If I don't have something to do, I'm going to go out of my mind. So I'm going to focus all my attention on this right now. So there's probably been about four or five times where I've had like spurts of like a flurry of illustration stuff. And then, and then there'll be weeks where I go nothing. There's just no opportunity. So that's kind of how I look at it is I just continue to just, you know, fill gaps with it. And that is like Christmas morning to get those random emails from Jeremy (laughs) that have illustrations of my story. It's just so exciting. So I like the surprise of not knowing when those are going to (laughs) come. That's why I do it. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Much better answer, right? (laughs) As, as you know, you're, you're getting ready to build up and release the, Kickstarter campaign. What do your days look like through that process of, you know, you've got the illustrations down, you've got the book ready to go, and now you've got to start getting everything ready for the Kickstarter campaign. How does that process go? We have a very detailed list, to-do list, and we delegate different things. So we know that we're going to have to reach out to some people to help us uh, tell the story and get the word out. So we make a list of people that we need to reach out to and who will reach out to who and in what context. Or we have a list of maybe last minute things that need to be fixed on the book before we share some illustrations on Kickstarter. And then we have a list of what days we need to post to Instagram and Facebook and what content we need to have on what day. So we try to anticipate what each day needs and what people need to know at what time. And then we make a very long list that we share. Gotcha. How do you, how do you divide and conquer? Well, that's a good question. I think we know each other's strengths by now. I think we learned that really well the first time around. So if it's something where we need to write a message, I typically write 
And then Jeremy knows a lot of people. And so he's able to reach out to people that I don't have access to. Or if it's something more illustrated related, like I need assets for something, he prepares those and then I can manipulate pieces of that. So I think we just play off each other's strengths and abilities. And it never feels like, at least from my perspective, that I'm carrying the entire weight of the project. I feel like we balance it out pretty well. Gotcha. When when the campaign wraps and it's time to start doling out the rewards and things like that, how are you managing your time there? Um, the thing that's been good about that is we we kind of divide and conquer a little bit on that. I know uh, Beth did a lot of the a lot of that, and now if you, for instance order a book off of our website. We just are in our second printing now. Um, so there's, there are more chin up chinchilla books available at happycargobooks.com. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, all that order fulfillment, it happens when, when those orders come in, Beth's managing a lot of that stuff, but, um, we've kind of got a system down, uh, as far as like the, the way we package it, what goes in it. Um, so it's not, that that initial run, I'm trying to remember how we separated them out. I think that we maybe separated them out by reward level last time because I had a, bu- a bunch of boxes that shipped out of Columbus and she had a bunch of boxes that shipped out of Shelby and it just kind of divided it by like people from this reward level up. Slagles will do, you know, the this reward level down will do. And so, yeah, it's just again, it's just kind of divide and conquer. So you mentioned happy cargo books there. Um mm-hmm. So for people who aren't familiar, you started your own publishing company as you were making the first book, whereas most people just could have gone self-published and all. You went that extra mile. Have you have you looked into pursuing that further as a business model? So the reason why we did that is because we anticipated more books coming along. So we didn't sure. want to have something that was just chin up chinchilla. We wanted something that was more of an umbrella that could support other books to come. So that was more of our mindset. We never did that with the intention of publishing other people's books or doing things that were for other people, but it just kind of helped to have an umbrella company. And then, you know, just for legal reasons, having something to put that under. And that was really funny because I remember I drove up to Shelby, uh, and had, um, we met at, I think Barnes and Noble, uh, with Ben and Beth, and I just, we, we kind of talked about like, we don't want to have chinupchinchilla.com because if there's other books to come, then we got to build a whole new website and a whole mm-hmm. new following for another, another book. And that just seems counterintuitive. And so, uh, I don't, you probably could shed more light on this than I do, but they had always kind of had these words. They'd like to kind of wanted to start a business someday called happy cargo. And that just was, I was just two fun words that they had always bounced back and forth between the two of them, like we should do something with this. It's a fun, it's a fun name for something. Uh, and the funny thing is, is Ben had already designed a logo for it. Uh, you know, it just, it all just kind of came together. It was like, why don't we just call it happy cargo books? We've already got a logo for it. Uh, and that's, that's kind of how it happened. So, um, it wasn't a whole lot of heavy lifting to do. It was already done. Uh, just put the word books at the end of it. And that was, (laughs) that was kind of how that happened. Gotcha. Now that it's progressed, has has your mindset changed at all on possibly publishing books for other people? 
I wouldn't even really know how to go about doing that. <laughs> um, it's never actually crossed my mind. Maybe someday. I mean, with all the knowledge that we have from doing this, I think both Jeremy and I are so willing to help other people if they have questions about the process mm -hmm. because people did that to us and for us, they were kind enough to share. And so I think we want to pass that on, pay it forward and be kind and share our knowledge. But I don't know that we would ever be the people who are actually running the campaign and creating the books for anybody else because, oh my goodness, <laughs> that is way too much, way too much work. And uh, most other people are doing this, you know, for some kind of monetary gain and that is not what we're currently sure. doing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, and that, that's why, that's what I was curious about is, you know, is, is there an opportunity for that to turn into a viable business model? I think the majority of the joy we get from doing these books, there is joy in creating and mm -hmm. writing and the joy is in sharing the story, but the joy is not in the promotion. Sure. <laughs> so, no. so if you were to ask me to remove my own personal joy and involvement in the good stuff and only have to do this stuff for other people, I would say no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally echo that. That's the other thing that's been awesome about Beth and my uh, partnership on this is that we're just kind of like, let's do a book. And then it's like, let's do another book. And, and that's just, that's kind of the way I approach a lot of things in life. Like, let's just do this thing. I don't have like a real global perspective on like this epic thing I could do, you know, with, with my time. I'm a very like, I like doing things in manageable, uh, attainable goals. Um, mm -hmm. And then you kind of meet that goal and you go, let's maybe do that one more time. Um, and I, I love that about Beth too, because I think if either one of us was like, let's turn this into an empire, the other one would be like, no, I'm not interested <laughs> in doing that. <laughs> well, so speaking of turning things into an F empire, are there plans for any more books at this point? Well, there is a third book. That has been written, uh -huh. but we'll wait. And I think we're just waiting to see. I think that's how we felt with the first book. Sure. We'll wait and see if there's even an interest. And then, you know, if people also love the second book and it continues at the same rate the first one did, then I think once we've recovered, <laughs> we will talk about book number three. Gotcha. Is that a safe, safe way to go, Jeremy? Yeah. And I think, you know, there's other things that, you know, we're, we're tossing around right now. Like, you know, once this campaign is over, we're going to hopefully start selling this on Amazon. Um, you know, putting your products on Amazon is not inexpensive. Uh, there's a lot of risk involved. Um, and so we're, we're just taking baby steps, you know, like what's, what, what, how can we kind of expand our reach with these two books? And if they get enough traction, um, you know, honestly, I think I, I don't want to speak for Beth on this too much, but you know, I would love it if, uh, someone who did children's book publishing called us up and said, Hey, we love what you did with these first two books. We just want to like take the whole thing and we can, you know, front you some money to do the first, to do the third book. And we'll just take all these books, uh, and we'll publish them on your behalf and do all the distribution stuff. That would be phenomenal. Um, you know, that would take a lot of, off of our shoulders, but like Beth said, like the process of promoting this thing is just arduous. Um, sure. and doing the campaign is a lot more work. That's one of the things we probably learned more than anything else. Uh, but I, I don't think either of us had delusions of grandeur going into it um, as far as like what the amount of work the Kickstarter campaign would take. But it ended up being even more than I think 
even after being funded in the first six days, the first time around, uh, there was still more work involved for the next 24 days of just kind of keeping mm-hmm. people's interest and, and, you know, raising the bar a little bit as we went through it. It's, it's a lot. I can't imagine what it would have been like if we had come down to the wire on the first book. I would have, I think we would have been so stressed out. We would have like, it would have maybe been the end of us. <laughs> I don't think we'd be as excited <laughs> to do the second book. Uh, yeah, we wouldn't we be here now. So, that's right. I can, I can see that. Um, so if anyone at Scholastic is listening, um, you know, they would love your help and, and your money. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. especially the money, because uh, <laughs> books ain't cheap and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find some people who we, uh, who we know that uh, can put you in touch with some publishers over there. That'd be great. I, I know that if there's a market that is saturated right now, it's children's books. Mm-hmm. There's just, and the other thing is, is like, once you start talking to someone about the fact that we did a children's book, everybody has an idea for a children's book. And, and we, we realized that that's, that doesn't necessarily make us special. Um, you know, every designer I talk was like, Oh, I've always wanted to illustrate a children's book or even just parents. I'm like, oh, I've always, I've got this idea for a children's book. And so we actually got in contact with some, some folks who do, uh, publishing on a, like a national international scale. And they just mm-hmm. leveled with us. They're just like the, 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 that market is so oversaturated right now. Uh, it's incredibly difficult to do this. So, you know, again, going back to our goals, our goals are just to sell, to share a simple story and give people the joy of holding one of these in their hands. And that, if that's what we end up accomplishing, then, then we've done what we want to do and that's fulfilling for us. So. Gotcha. For, for people who are interested in the campaign and want to find out more about the book where obviously you can go find it on Kickstarter, but Give give us some details on the book or on the campaign and when it's running from and when it wraps up. Yes, it's currently running and it will wrap up on March 18th. That'll be the last day. And you can find us on happycargobooks.com or at happycargobooks on Instagram and Facebook. And all of those places have links to get there to the Kickstarter campaign. Gotcha. Our goal is currently $8,000 to cover just the cost of the printing and shipping the books. Mm-hmm. And we are at a 30% right now as we're speaking. So we'll see where we are later. I don't know. Hopefully much farther along. But yeah, it's going great. Gotcha. So I want to wrap things up here real quick just to get to the feasting portion of Feasting on Design with some food questions. Um, I'm going to do them in three rounds. I know there's only two of you, but I would like to ask some hippo specific questions, uh, first. So, um, either of you jump in, but, um, what would, you know, what would this hippo's comfort food be? I think she really likes chocolate. Hmm. That's a great answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a that's that that that's an allusion uh, to the book actually i don't know if allusion is the right word for that but that is in that is covered in the book so that was a very safe answer mm-hmm. gotcha what if if this hippo could have one last meal what would it be and chocolate cannot be the answer <laughs> it'd be barbecue i mean i just have to answer because um, there's nobody that doesn't like good barbecue. So, sure. Yeah. I'm, although, yeah, I'm not sure they eat meat. Are hippos meat? I don't think oh, they're yeah, meat. Oh, yeah, they do. 
Oh, do they? Well, I know they, I know they attack. I know they're like the most dangerous animals. Uh, they're like incredibly dangerous animals. Not, yeah. uh, not ours. Our hippo would never eat anybody. Wild, no, wild right. hippos. No animals were harmed in the right. making of right. hippo ray hippo. Don't right. worry about that. <laughs> so barbecue. And then if, if this hippo could just eat one food for the rest of her life, um, what would it be? I'm relying yeah. on Beth for this. Answer. Yeah, oh I can see that look. Well, the, the I think you both on. are relying on each other for this. <laughs> I want to say maybe French fries that are covered in cheese and uh-huh. bacon or tots. Could be tots, tots. covered in covered oh, in cheese. Yeah, because there's no better way to a serve up a. Eater. There's no way better way to serve up a potato than a tot. Oh, that's. that's it's got to be the tots. You guys are making yeah. me hungry now for some really bad junk food. Um, so, so Beth, moving on to you with food questions and, um, what is kind of your earliest food memory? Ooh. It could be good or bad. It doesn't have earliest to be. Yeah. Food memory. I unfortunately have a terrible memory. So, um, that might be good if it's a bet, if it was a bad thing, <laughs> I guess. Well, okay. Here's one. I never liked tomatoes. As a kid, I'm gotcha. slowly coming around on those. Slowly coming around. As a kid, I did not like them. And I remember my parents were of the mindset, you've got to eat what's on your plate. So when I was a small child, they gave me tomatoes and I outlasted them. I sat there so long that they finally gave up and didn't make me eat the tomatoes. So Wow, that's impressive. What is, what is uh, What's your go-to comfort food? I like... Cheetos. Cheetos? They're kind of like bougie Cheetos, though. They're like the Cheetos brand Cheetos, but the kind that make you think they're healthier. With the so, baked ones? I think they're like simply oh. Cheetos or something. <laughs> yes. But yes, I love Cheetos. Gotcha. And then wrapping up, what would be your death row meal, that last meal you can ever have? It would probably be made by my mother. So she would be sad that she was preparing me a meal while I was on death row. <laughs> yeah. Uh, beef stroganoff. Oh. Noodles I, with I have mushrooms and beef and a uh, side of green beans. That oh. would be my meal. I haven't had a good beef stroganoff in a long time. That sounds good. Nancy Pettit. She's the one that makes the best. Gotcha. Jeremy, what about you? What is your earliest food memory? Uh, I was just thinking, I'm glad you went with Beth first because uh, I got a chance to think about those. Um, the, I, I remember when I was a kid, I don't know if this is food, it's more of a beverage, but, um, I grew up in, in Michigan <laughs> and there's a, there's a soft drink that's kind of regional called Verner's mm-hmm. and it's like a really, really peppy ginger ale. And I remember like the shock of my parents, like giving me, and I think it was because they were doing it because all of their friends were over and they wanted to see how funny it would be, but they gave me one of those big wide mouth glasses with ginger ale in it and I, it, with Verner's in it and it just burned my eyes and it just was like the worst experience I'd ever had. I'm a huge fan now, but I just remember the shock of that, like yeah, that's first some, gulp uh, of ginger ale when I was like three. That's more like a concentrated ginger beer really than oh, yeah. a ginger ale. I love Verner's. I do too. What is, uh, what's your go-to comfort food? Uh, I'm a, my dad, uh, we, as a kid, we pretty much had ice cream every night before bed. Like we just always did. And that's, 
in my later years, it's a, a habit I've had to to not do anymore. But I would say, yeah, you know, I'm it brings back a lot of memories. Of that too. I love a scoop of ice cream before I go to bed at night. Gotcha. And what is your death row meal? I'd say a good filet mignon. I'm always interested by the people who go for like a fancy sort of thing. Yeah. I don't, it's probably because I don't ever get them. So sure. I would say, Hey, if, if, if it's on you, if, if they're paying for it, I'll, I'll go with whatever's the most expensive thing I can. Yeah. You don't get to eat the $22 a pound, uh, meat right. a lot. <laughs> right. I'm not getting like white castle sliders or anything like that. I, I want them to oh. pay. Oh, that would be, fun. <laughs> that'll send you right to death. That, will, right, that right. will send you to <laughs> death. <laughs> exactly. It'll send right. you somewhere. Yeah, no, I, at that point, I'm going to take my pound of flesh from whoever's putting me down. So I'm going to make it as expensive as it can possibly be. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I have ulterior motives. Sure. I, when we get off air, I'll tell you about the funniest answer that I had. <laughs> so, Beth, Jeremy, thank you so much for um, taking the time to share about the new book and the Kickstarter campaign. I really appreciate it. And one more time, where can people find out more about the book? You can find us at happycargobooks.com or online on Instagram and Facebook at Happy Cargo Books. Gotcha. And Beth, where can people find you online? I mostly hang out there at Happy Cargo Books, but I also review children's books at Brighter World Books on Instagram. Gotcha. And Jeremy, what about you? Uh, you can find me and all my links at uh, slagledesign.com. Awesome. Thank you all so much. And go out and break some bread. Oh, thanks. Thank you. You can find out more about Beth, Jeremy, and Happy Cargo Books and the Kickstarter campaign at happycargobooks.com. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes for more ways to keep up with them. I hope you like this episode of Feasting on Design. Let me know what you think. And if you like it, leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit feastingondesign.com to catch up on the archives of Creative South Podcast. Get some cool swag like t-shirts and stickers that are on sale right now for 50% off with free shipping on orders over $25 when you use the code free shipping, all one word. Plus, you can keep up with the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Feast on Design. And I'm at Jay Frostholm on Dribble, Twitter, and Instagram. Or over on my website at IldisDesign.com. 